Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you that I can call you Father. And I thank you as I've studied and as we're going to look into your word this morning, just all that that means for us. And I pray that as we spend time in your word this morning, that you would uh, amaze us and humble us and excite us afresh about what that means, that you are our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to turn to Matthew 6, if you're not there, I'm going to read for us to get started, starting at verse 1. Matthew 6, verse 1, page 737 in this Bible, if that helps. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private and then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So I'm going to give you the, uh, the easiest trivia question in the world this morning. What is the most prayed, recited, and sung prayer in the world? Oh, that's good. That's good. Since I just read it, that wasn't that was kind of made it easier. It's a prayer that has been sung. I mean, if I were raise your hand, how many of you have read or said or sung the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, almost almost everybody. Um, it used to be the most you know, one of the, the most popular songs to have sung at a wedding or a funeral. Uh, 
Virtually every 12-step group I've been to recites it. Um, the Lord's Prayer. Um, all of you, before I read it, probably knew, or most of you knew, that the Lord's Prayer started by our Father. In fact, that's how a lot of people describe the Lord's Prayer. They call it our Father. Now, if I were to be a little harder on you this morning and ask you, how many of you remember how Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 starts? Yeah, I wouldn't do so well, would you? <laughs> Unless you, you know, have a smartphone and you could look at it while you're looking at me. <clears throat> Or, or Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. How does that start? <laughs> Not so good, huh? What about Abraham's prayer in, in Genesis chapter 18 as he begins pleading with God for his nephew Lot? And some of you are thinking, I didn't know there was a prayer in Genesis 18. So obviously, there's something very significant about the Lord's Prayer. But what concerns me, and this is what we're going to be looking at this morning, is despite its popularity that Christian, non-Christian, believer, non-believer, church person, non-church person, I mean, in the United States of America, the vast majority of us know and have recited or heard sung the Lord's Prayer. But the question I want you to ask yourself this morning, as we're just going to look at the first two words of it, our Father, is what do you mean when you pray that prayer? Just those first two words, our Father. Or when you hear it sung, or, or when it's recited by millions of people every day. Do we understand what it means, our Father? The depth of it, the breadth of it. What does it mean to say, our Father? If we were to pray that all together this morning, our Father who is in heaven, what would that mean to you? What should it mean to you? What, what was Jesus' intention as he asked us? He said, pray like this, our Father. Before we start, I want you to notice what Jesus didn't say. Did you notice? Look at verse 9, what he didn't say. He didn't say, pray this. He said, pray like this. So interestingly enough, Jesus is not telling us to pray robotically and repetitively the Lord's Prayer, this prayer. What we often repeat so many times. He's not telling us to pray this prayer. But he's telling us how to pray and gives this prayer as an example. He's not telling us what the content of our prayer is to be. 
but how our prayer is to be to help us to understand God and the relationship that God wants us to have with him. So we're going to look at the two words. And there's four words that are going to capture this. And I, and I hope they stick in your mind because as you hear this, as you think, our Father, what does that mean? Our Father. The first thing it means is humiliation. Humiliation. You're thinking, do we got the same prayer here? I think the first thing, if you are to pray understandingly the Lord's Prayer, it means humiliation. The second thing it means is adoption. Adoption. The third thing is family. And the fourth thing is dependence. And when we get to that point, I'm going to actually have Kaylee read again what she read because it captured beautifully how I want us to understand that last point, dependence, okay? Can you give you the heads up? Humiliation. To understand our Father in Matthew 6, 9, where Jesus says, pray like this, our Father, we first of all have to understand Matthew 3, verse 17. Go back there. Just flip back there really quickly. We can't understand Matthew 6, 9 unless we understand what our Father says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And this is at Jesus' baptism. As Jesus is coming out of the water after he stood in line to receive John's baptism, verse 16, as Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting on him. And a voice comes from heaven and says... And it's the Father saying, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And the question I want to ask ourselves as you think about, that's the heaven, that's the Father God the Father saying about God the Son, this is my Son, this is my Son. You know, John 3.16 calls him the only begotten in the New International Version. It says the one and only. This is the Father saying of his one and only Son, the unique Son of God, this is my Son, I love him, and he brings me great joy. We've got to ask ourselves, then how can we be so privileged to call him our Father, along with Jesus, the dearly loved Son. It's because of humiliation. Humiliation. Did you notice, I mean, flip back to Matthew chapter 6. You can see, as, as I, the first verses I read from uh, verses 1 to 8, Jesus, as he told them how to, get, how to give, uh, as he was and how to pray. You notice he kept saying, your father, your father, your father. And, and I tell you, there would be, that would be way easier for us to understand if it was a matter of Jesus saying, my father and your father, but for him to say, our father. Our father is a huge humiliation. I Flip to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple of verses. I, 
This is so important we understand this, what it means for us to say, Our Father. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 11 to 13. Page 921, if that helps. Hebrews 2.11. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them, and we could say us, those who he has made holy. He's not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. And he also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. And how does this happen? That Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. We'll go back to verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. I'm one of those. Are you? Chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation, brothers and sisters of Jesus through his suffering. That's why we can say, our father, it's because he suffered. He suffered. One more verse, Philippians chapter 2. This is a really well-known verse, but it explains this really well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, page 900. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Speaking about Jesus, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And that's Jesus eternally equal with God. Eternally, equally God. God the Father, God the Son. He didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to, but instead he gave up his divine privileges, the right to act as God. And he took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. For us to be called brothers and sisters of Jesus. Humiliation. Humiliation. And as it's described here, three words that capture it. Submission. Incarnation. Crucifixion. For us to say, our Father. And the depth of it was reverberated on the cross when Jesus hanging on the cross in our place, for our sins, cried out. What did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our ability to, to say, our Father, because of what he experienced, his suffering, his humiliation on our behalf. We must understand for that us to be able to say, our Father, 
he had to be alienated from his father. And that's why, he, you know, later, you know, he starts by saying, Father, forgive them. But as he hangs as a substitute for our sins on the cross, it's not my father, it's my God. Alienated from his father so that we could call his father our father. Isn't that amazing? Our father. The second word, adoption. And they're really flip sides of the same coin. His humiliation brought about our adoption. Jesus is the one and only, the unique, the eternal Son of God. The Son of the Father. What an amazing privilege for us to be called sons and daughters of God. Children of God along with him. Think about it. Who is it now that can call God the creator of the universe, the one and only God, there's none like him, Father? Us. Because we've been adopted into the family because of his humiliation. Ephesians chapter 2. Just back from Philippians, Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to see what is so amazing about this. Philippians chapter 2. Thank you, Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Sorry, I'm still partway on my bike, you know, heading along the coast. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 11. Don't forget, this is who we are. This is who you are, who I was or who you were, if you're now a child. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, okay? Outcasts, outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, strangers, foreigners, enemies, alienated from God. That's who we were. And now... We can be, because of his suffering and humiliation and crucifixion, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing what adoption means? Romans chapter 8, one more verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Page 862, Romans eight fifteen. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we can call him Abba, Daddy, Father. The word Abba, it's, it, it slips in the midst of the Greek, the Aramaic word for Father, because that was the language spoken back then, the common language. And it, it throws in among the, the Greek wording, this Aramaic word to show the intimacy of this 
relationship that we have, have now with God. He's our daddy. I, I was trying to think how many times I called my father, father. I can't remember ever calling him father. It would have seemed really weird. I called him dad. When I was younger, daddy. That's the relationship that we have with our father. I think it would be better if we were to say, our daddy. Our dad. And so we call him Abba, Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm, to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Enemies, former enemies, now co-heirs with Jesus of all our father, our daddy has to offer. Isn't that amazing? We were who excluded, we're now adopted. We who were alienated, now we're adopted. And so when we see our father, we should be stunned by his humiliation that brought it about, brought what about? Our adoption, our adoption. Are we getting it? I'd like to just give a little illustration this morning. I have four children. And um, those four children can call me father. Now, any of you that want to can also call me father. But that won't help you get my inheritance. <laughs> Nor is it any particular big deal that they can call me a father because, you know, splitting 50 bucks among four kids doesn't, doesn't go very far. <laughs> Sorry to break you the news. <laughs> so four kids can call me father. The amazing thing about it is, though, that of those four children, two of which are here this morning, so I'll just talk about those two since they can't defend themselves because that would be kind of disrespectful, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so of the two that are here this morning, and I did get permission from one of them to talk. I didn't get permission from the other one, but... You know. <laughs> The two that are here this morning, one has always called me father. Born June 24th, his birthday's coming up this week. Born June 24th in General Santos, Philippines, to my wife, Cynthia, sitting right there. He's our blood always has called us, call, called me father. From the moment of his birth, my inheritance was his. She's not that excited about right now. <laughs> Many years later, another girl was born on December 20th, 1982. 
92, oh, yeah. 1992, wow, time flies. December 20th, 1992. Our youngest daughter. When she was born, if she could have spoken on that day, she wouldn't have called me father, because I wasn't her father. Um, three years later, because we loved her so much and wanted her to be our daughter, we adopted her. Stephanie. And Stephanie, this morning, calling me father in the same way that Daniel calls me father, is equally and every bit as much my daughter as he is my son, and my heir as Daniel is my heir. And I tell you, from the moment we adopted Stephanie, it's helped me to understand so much more what it means that I'm adopted. And, and, and even more so because it's not 50 bucks, you know, that we're heirs of, but, but, but as we've been adopted by our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus went through for us, we are co-heirs with Jesus of all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. They're ours. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe is our Father. Isn't that amazing? The privilege that is ours when, when we say our Father, what that means, the privilege that is mine as a brother of Jesus. And even more impactful, it really didn't affect Daniel and Jonathan and Rebecca for us to adopt Stephanie. I mean, splitting 50 bucks, what's that? You know, 12.50? It didn't hurt them that much. Didn't hurt them at all. Amazing what it cost Christ for us to be adopted and for us to be able to say, our Father. Third word, family. You know, the, f the first two kind of go to the second two kind of go together. When we say our Father, it's, wow, the humiliation that he went through for my adoption. And that's kind of me and God, us and Jesus all together. But when we come to the third word, when we say our Father, it also means something very horizontal. It means that with him as our Father, adopted by Jesus, what he did for us on the cross, it means we're family. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. We're family. That's what it means. Our Father, we say that together. If we consider him our father, that means we're family. Brothers and sisters of Jesus, co-heirs with him of our father. Flip to 1 John, if you would. Just, just want to look at one verse here. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1. we proclaim to you, page 941, 
We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And this is John, one of Jesus' disciples, talking about Jesus. This one who is life itself was revealed to us. And we have seen him, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father. He was revealed to us, and we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, the eyewitnesses, Jesus' disciples, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy, the joy that we have together as family. You and me, if you're a child of God, me as a child of God, us together as brothers and sisters with Jesus in koinonia, that's the word fellowship, intimacy of relationship with the Father and with the Son, us as brothers and sisters together, family. We're family. You happy about that? Well, you better be because it's it's the way it is. (laughs) But what I want us to understand before we move on to the last word is, you notice when we say our father, it means that family isn't optional. It's who we are. Sometimes it's hard, you know, for brothers and sisters to get along, isn't it? I know I didn't get along with my sisters because they had problems, you know. (laughs) getting along as family isn't always easy but we're family and it's what we are if we pray our father the fourth word dependence praying our father means I'm his child (laughs) I'm his child In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of God. Unless you consider yourself a child, then you have no business saying, our Father. Kaylee, would you read again what you read, please? So when we pray to God about our relationship with him, I imagine God saying, did you really just say that? I mean, yes, I guess it is a relationship, but did you catch the part where I said I want us to live inside each other? You want to call that a relationship? You can call it what you want, but I'm inviting you into much more than a relationship. I'm offering to you the beauty you exist within and the blood that flows through your veins. I want to be the umbilical cord that brings you the fluids that sustain you, and I want to be those fluids that sustain you. I want to be the breath that enters your lungs when you're born, and I want to be your lungs. What I want is for you to get lost inside me, and I want to be lost inside you. My desire is for us to be one. Thank you. That's that's childlike dependence. And that's what we're acknowledging we are if we say our Father. Isn't it amazing how easy we just say words? I wonder how how many people who say or recite or sing or listen to the Lord's Prayer, have any idea of those four simple truths. 
the humiliation that it meant for Christ for me to say, our Father. The adoption that is mine. I am co-heir. I'm a co-heir with Jesus of all the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly places. When I say, our Father. I'm a brother of each one of you when I say, our Father. And my acknowledging my childlike need of and dependence upon the God of the universe when I say, our Father. Four things that I think they should produce in us just really quickly, and they kind of go from each one of these, is the first, if we really understand the humiliation that it meant for Jesus, for me to be able to say, our Father, it must produce in us worship. We have got to be people that when, when we sing a little bit again to, to conclude our service, we've got to be people that just are like, Jesus, you are, you are amazing. And we'll say words something like this, Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills the breast, but sweeter far thy face to see and in thy presence rest. Nor voice can sing, nor heart can frame, nor can the memory find a sweeter sound than thy blessed name, O Savior of mankind. O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who fall, how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. But what to those who find? Ah, this, nor tongue, nor pen can show the love of Jesus, what it is, none but his loved ones know. And there's actually about 10 more verses. I won't read them all, but we will become people like that. Like uh, um, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who wrote those words hundreds of years ago. People who just said, Jesus, I love you. Thank you. The second one is not only worship, but, but will be gratitude. Gratitude. Isn't it amazing who we are from what we were? Romans 5.8 says, God showed his love to us when we were still sinners. Jesus died for us. I think sometimes we, we forget how amazing the cross is because we think that it's because we were pretty cool that Christ died for us. I mean, look who he got. Yeah, <laughs> look who we got. But no, but now look who we are. What he took and what he made when we were still sinners, enemies, alienated, outcasts, he adopted us. That would be like us adopting Stephanie who was, you know, an enemy of our family. But because of her great love for her, we poured that love out upon her and adopted her. As an enemy, we made her a child. That's what Jesus did for us. That's got to be gratitude. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? 
Just one more verse. There's lots of good verses. He left his father's throne above. So free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love. Not sure about that phrase. He didn't cease being God. And bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. That's just got to result in gratitude, right? Worship and gratitude. The third thing is where we begin to squirm a little bit, I think. If we really understand his humiliation and our adoption, if we respond in worship and in gratitude, understanding we're family, then it's got to result in grace. Grace. Or graciousness. If we understand grace, it'll overflow in gratitude to God and grace to one another. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one of the things that I... it. it it breaks my heart more than anything else <laughs> is how brothers and sisters bought by the blood of Jesus adopted co-heirs with Christ, his brothers and sisters, how we have such a hard time getting along with one another. We have such a hard time showing grace to one another when he showed us so much grace. So much grace. We have such a hard time forgiving one another when he's forgiven us for so much. We have such a hard time humbling ourselves before one another and serving one another when he's humbled himself more than we could ever humble ourselves. And, and he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for us so that we can be as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, we need as family understanding his grace and worshiping him and adoring him and, and overflowing with gratitude to him. We've got to show grace to one another if we're going to say our father. And the last thing is obedience. Obedience. If we really claim that he's our father and, his, and, and we're his child, then, then what is expected of a child? Obedience. And yet, those of us who say our father can often be what? So rebellious. We want him to be our father. We want the inheritance. But we want it our way. And we want to do our own thing. Jesus said, I came to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And as brothers and sisters in Jesus, that should be our sole desire. Father, we just want to please you. We want to, we want to do your will. You have done so much for us. We love you. Well, happy Father's Day to the fathers. But, you know, whether or not you're a father, this morning, it's got to be amazing Father's Day if we understand 
the amazing Father we have in heaven. And I pray that just, just these few words this morning has helped us to understand that and we, we will respond with worship, with gratitude, with grace, and with obedience. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you that you are my Father. You aren't some distant deity. You are my Father through the sacrifice of my brother, Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.